are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win podcast and a new year, which is the start of the fourth year of the podcast, which will never stop being crazy to me. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different because it is both me sharing my fertility journey and then also an interview with the amazing Dr. Fahima Sassan, who is a founding physician and chief innovation officer at KindBody, which is a company that provides fertility and wellness services in modern tech-enabled clinics. For some context, I got my elective egg freezing procedure done at Kind Body, so it is a few of my worlds meeting together. And so I'm going to spend the next chunk of the episode talking about my personal experience and then also break down what is expected if you do choose to freeze your eggs as a preventative measure or in the context of an IVF cycle. And so with that, I totally understand if you just want to learn more about Dr. Fahima without hearing my journey. And if that is the case, No worries, uh, but please skip over the solo part to the interview itself. And so with that, I did want to say that I'm truly so privileged to have had the access and the opportunity for elective egg freezing. And so while I share this to raise awareness around the topic, I also realize that so many women have frozen their eggs because they were diagnosed with infertility and not as a preventative measure and others who do not have the financial means to do this as a preventative measure. On the latter part, Dr. Fahima and I do spend time talking about the access and how kind body is increasing access. So there's a bit of a light at the end of that tunnel, or so I hope. And on the first part, my goal is to change the conversation with sharing proactive ways that women can think about their fertility with elective egg freezing, which is definitely still a taboo. I am in no way trying to insinuate that what I did is groundbreaking or impressive, And I know how sensitive this topic is, so I just want to throw that PSA out there as well. Okay, so with that, some personal context. Being a mother is something that I have prioritized and cared about since, honestly, I was a child myself, and that's a topic I cover in therapy and won't be covering further here. Um, But I have always been really ambitious and driven around my career, while also recognizing my other purpose, which is to build a family. And so over the years, I'd go to my OBGYN appointments and I'd ask them whether I was fertile, to which they would react in confusion, especially when I was like 20 years old. And so when I'd give them the context around the importance of this to me, they would basically shrug me off and say that I would find out if I'm fertile when I would actually try getting pregnant which you can imagine is not a very satisfactory answer, especially if you're a goal-oriented person, and especially if you're a woman who is going to be bearing children, you understand that this is something that will affect you physically, emotionally, financially, and all of the other ways. So why is it that I can make a 30, 60, 90 plan at work, but I can't make a plan around a life choice with such tremendous magnitude? So fast forward to the last few years as I moved into the later part of my 20s and I would see all these people around me having kids and or struggling to have kids, I felt more and more inclined to take control of my fertility and my childbearing 
And I knew that egg freezing could cost anywhere between $10,000 to $20,000 here in the U.S. without insurance benefits. So that was also a huge barrier for me as well. And so when I joined my current company two years ago, that, that summer they sent out an email saying that now elective egg freezing would be covered by our benefits. And so that kind of brought me back into trying to learn more about this process. And so I did Googling and I tried to find women who were doing this, but Honestly, what I primarily saw the conversation around was people who were doing egg freezing in the context of trying to get pregnant with IVF versus as a preventative measure. So super quickly, the difference is if somebody has fertility struggles, they kind of move on to IVF as a plan B. And then as a part of the IVF, they go ahead and freeze their eggs. What I was trying to do is basically go through this procedure in a preventative measure and to kind of help me with my planning. With that, I held off once I read through all of the things I saw, and then late last year after I turned 28, I kept on finding myself going back on the internet and watching the YouTube videos and going to fertility clinic webinars, and this was just something that stayed with me, and I decided to finally pull the trigger and get a real consultation versus Google as my doctor. And so I got consults at two fantastic clinics, uh, Spring Health with Dr. Katha Fisher and then Kind Body with Dr. Nicole Brown. And ultimately, I ended up going with Kind Body for a variety of reasons. Um, for some very basic context slash cheat sheet of what I learned in that consultation around how freezing my eggs would be a way for me to increase the likelihood of birthing a child. So when you try to get pregnant, you basically need one egg. And then that egg also needs to be a quality egg. As we get older, the quality and the quantity of eggs we have decreases. And so by freezing your eggs, you are getting a batch of eggs and therefore more chances than the one egg a month that your body naturally tries to pluck out of your monthly reserve. And then you also can have indicators of the quality of the egg. And therefore, along with your doctor, you basically choose the one that is most likely to grow into a healthy child. And so if you freeze your eggs at, say, 28 years old, which is what I did, you can have more flexibility around when you will have kids because your eggs are frozen in that 28-year-old state, and then you also know how many you were able to successfully freeze. And so even if you choose to have kids at a biologically advantageous time, you may run into infertility, which is actually a lot more common than people think. And then at that point, you would have already completed your process and won't have to further delay your ability to do so while having that best quality and quantity of eggs available to you. And so with all of these reasons, I just remember texting all my friends and, you know, addressing all these questions that we had. And it was both terrifying and inspiring to be the first one out of my peers or my immediate circle to have made this decision, especially because I have friends that are multiple years older than me. And then when I spoke to them about it throughout the process, they had no idea how this whole thing worked and were thankful that I shared it with them because they previously didn't even consider it before I brought it up. It was also really crazy about how taboo this conversation was to other people. There were people asking me if I was doing this because there was something wrong with my health. Other people were saying that I was way too concerned and overreacting with something as quote-unquote natural as having kids. And I understand why these concerns exist, but this is also why I'm making such a point to share my story in the depths of the internet because 
it's important for me to remind everyone that if you are fortunate enough to have the opportunity to take charge of your fate, your career, your family planning, it is absolutely your right and arguably even your responsibility to do so to ensure the right outcomes for you. And the key being the right outcomes for you, not for me, not for the people around you. Um, And that was really what I ended up focusing on. And to be clear, when I was responding to these people, it was like, I'm perfectly happy in my personal life and have full faith in it. I also believe that with freezing your eggs, you can be confident that you're not staying in a relationship because you think this is like the person that is your ticket to having kids, but because you love them. I also am fortunate enough to be in great health, but I see infertility over and over again, and that's not what the media or beautiful movies show us. And so I don't want to assume that infertility just won't happen to me because it does happen to so many people. We get vaccines, flu shots, health insurance, and so why wouldn't we try to get an insurance policy for our fertility is you know, how I was thinking about it. And Last, you know, this experience also really shed so much light on how much work we have to do as a society on empowering women to make the choices for their bodies, especially choices that embolden them to have equal rights as men when it comes to choosing the timing for building a family. And I think obviously historically this has not been the case and this flips the balance of power and it puts this fertility ball back in our court as women and that's a change. That's a change in society, which obviously is, is, can be really hard for people. And of course, there were so many amazing people who supported me too. And my friend Becca literally came to my house to do my first night of injections with me, which was so amazing. So big shout out to her. And so switching gears a little bit in terms of how this process works. So it is an end to end one month long experience with the shots taking about two weeks which I will explain in a second. And then the recovery really took me about a week, but I was able to work the majority of that recovery period. And then the last week after that just really has some restrictions around high impact exercise and things like that, which is why I frame it as really a one month long experience. The process kicks off with you getting your blood work and an ultrasound, and basically you get these baseline results, which tell you how many follicles or eggs you have in your current capacity and your AMH levels, which is basically a predictive indicator score of how many eggs you can expect to retrieve during egg freezing. After that, you get all of your meds shipped to your house, and then each day your medical team gives you instructions of which shots you have to inject. And so your doctor and medical team is really looking at you every single day, but you aren't necessarily coming in every day into the clinic. You come in every two or three days, um, but you are in touch with your medical team um, daily. The Kind Body Portal had all of these videos and webinars on how to administer the shots. And I can just tell you, for me, the shots was such a daunting part of this experience. But honestly, they were not painful at all. The needle is so, so thin. And the whole thing was really easy and straightforward to figure out. Um, Throughout the process, as I was doing the shots, I felt more and more bloated every day. But otherwise, the only symptoms I really experienced was being tired. So I ended up going to bed at like 8 p.m. every day. That, um, that period, which honestly was wonderful. I know other people also have other kinds of symptoms that may mirror pregnancy, and so that can be more severe and it's very specific, but I do think generally it is the same type of symptoms you can expect getting your period, so that felt very manageable to me. 
So as I mentioned, during the time of my shots, I would go to the clinic every two to three days to monitor my follicles. And it was just honestly really cool to see them grow every day through that ultrasound. And I was just obsessed with the staff at Kind Body, and I felt so educated throughout that process. And again, like it really felt empowering every single day. Also, as a product manager, I have to say the UX on their site always made it really easy to know exactly what I was doing, what my next step was. And that was, again, a really fascinating part of the experience, which Dr. Fahima will kind of talk about when we get to that part. And so at the end of the two weeks of you doing your shots, you take your last shot, which is called a trigger shot. And at that point, I literally looked three months pregnant and I was ready to go. And then we did the egg retrieval, which is basically a 20 minute surgery with anesthesia. And then at the end of that day, Kind Body reached out to me and confirmed how many of the eggs that we retrieved, which ones of those qualified for freezing. And so that also felt like a big relief to kind of know to know the results of the surgery, because obviously it can vary and there are people who go into multiple cycles. I was very fortunate to only really need one cycle and, and get like a large quantity of eggs, uh, which I felt comfortable with for my personal fertility goals. And so that day, I kind of took the rest of the day off and I rested. And then in the six days after that, I was just, I was working from home, but I was resting and drinking liquid IV and Gatorade for a week and basically waiting for my body to return to normal. I was definitely in pain and I was exhausted. But again, I think there was such a feeling of relief and knowing that this is temporary that it honestly was not so bad. I am now multiple months out of this from this experience and I just feel so grateful to have gone through this, to have had this opportunity and even more grateful for the opportunity to share about it on this podcast. While I do come on here every other week and talk about all sorts of things, this is, you know, the first time I'm doing a solo portion like this and sharing something so personal. So if you are still here listening, thank you. And I really do hope that this is helpful to you. My email is also open to anyone who wants to chat, so please feel free to reach out and I can share even more detail if you want and or just get your feedback around whether this is something that interested you. And so now on to the expert portion of this episode. Here is Dr. Fahima Sassan, Chief Innovation Officer at KindBody. Hi, Dr. Fahima. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, so good to be here with you. Thank you for having me. So good to be here with you. We so appreciate you coming on and me especially. I've been really looking forward to this, especially because I think we can all agree that there is so much more of a loud and powerful conversation around women's health, especially as it compares to 5, 10, 15 years ago. You have been in the field for over 17 years. So what initially drew you to the space, given that there wasn't as much excitement and investment about it as there is today? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. I think for me, first and foremost, was as a practicing, you know, board certified OBGYN, really seeing firsthand the fragmentation of care that existed uh, for people that were going through fertility and reproductive journeys, um, and understanding that there's so many different facets that that I'm sure we'll talk about 
you know, over the time that we're together. So whether it's fertility preservation, same-sex couples, heterosexual couples, people experiencing miscarriage, people wanting to um, pursue children at older age. But regardless of the path, there was really a disconnect and also a very reactive approach to this care. And I think what we have um, learned and what we, you know, what I feel very passionately about is that fertility should be addressed in a very proactive and preventative approach. So my passion and desire and why I'm here and why I've invested so much over the last five years was was truly from a clinical lens of understanding there needed to be a different uh, approach to the care mm-hmm. and also wanting to, to just reinvent the way that we actually provide the care to patients. But I imagine, like, again, when you started out in the field over 17 years ago, that, as you said, those conversations that are happening now were not happening. And I imagine there was pushback and a lot of struggle, especially because, you know, medicine is still also a male-dominated industry. What would you say kept you going when things weren't going so well? Yeah, I mean, there's so much of fertility care that has evolved over the last 10 years. Um, So you're absolutely right. There were a lot of conversations that would have never historically happened. So certainly no one was talking about elective egg freezing because it was only in 2013 that the um, experimental labels were lifted with the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. So absolutely, or advances that have now been made in genetic testing that have really completely changed the realm of, of fertility care and the successes within it. Also, and maybe most importantly, it was just such a taboo topic that nobody talked about in any capacity um, so that investors weren't looking to be in this space. Money wasn't being particularly spent in women's health in general, much less a specific nuance of, uh, of fertility and um, and it just ha- didn't have the attention that it needed to. I would say in general, women's health, even if you look at heart disease and women's health is really behind when it comes to compared to other advances that have been made or investments that have been made. So we're really excited at Kind Body that we're leading the way, not only for female entrepreneurs and, and that investors are looking at us as a place to invest, but also the work that we're doing in a clinical perspective. Absolutely. And we'll definitely get into all of that because it is truly incredible. Not only do you know the, the sheer quantity of capital that Kind Body has been able to raise, but the amazing investors that stand behind it and the growth and the expansion as a result. But to take a little bit of a step back, I mean, you called out that these conversations were taboo, and I would even say that they can still feel taboo. I mean, selfishly, one of the reasons that I was excited to bring you on is to talk about the egg freezing process. You know, I shared with you that I went through it and I I went through the egg freezing process with Kind Body, but to kind of take a step back even more, I'd love to understand with your role specifically in Kind Body. Obviously, you're overseeing all of the different areas of uh, fertility care for women. But what does being a chief innovation officer actually mean and look like on the day to day? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, as a 
as a startup, and although a lot of people claim we're not particularly fit the definition of a startup anymore, but we still are. Um, but as a as a new and growing company, obviously all of us within the C suite and leadership wear a lot of hats, and um, and so mine is no different. I still see patients on a regular basis wow. um, and engage with our lead employer clients like Walmart, and you know spend a lot of time with our marketing team, our client management team. So I wear a lot of hats. As as you do as a leader in, like I said, any good startup, but specifically as a chief innovation officer and where I, I think I bring a really good perspective to the table is one from the lens of a physician. Um, so that provider lens is really important in scaling a business, especially a business in healthcare. And also understanding what are products that we want to add to our suite of services that are not only going to improve the patient experience, but are aligned with our mission and vision and wanting to improve access to care, but also um, in ear to our employer clients, right? Um, as, as a benefit manager is being able to sit at the table and, and what are the needs of, of our employer clients. And so, for example, the Mayo Clinic put out this past year that workplace productivity or loss in workplace productivity in menopausal women had accounted for $1.8 billion worth, wow. of, worth of loss, right, in workplace productivity. And so, and recognizing that menopause is a huge issue for women and has often been mismanaged, underdiagnosed, undertreated, again, back to that taboo topic. And so really being able to bring a new products line to Kind Body and saying, how do we, uh, you know, preventatively, proactively, and holistically address menopause for our employer clients. So that was something, for example, that I've worked on this past year, or historically, and continued work that I'm doing in developing our center of excellence model, uh, which Walmart has, for example. So we are the exclusive fertility center of excellence from Walmart which means their 1.6 million associates all over the country use Kind Body Clinics as their center of excellence. So that includes a travel program. It includes virtual telemedicine. It's a lot of orchestration that goes into um, serving such a large client. And so those are projects that I hold near and dear to my heart and just a few examples of what I do as a, as a chief innovation officer. Absolutely incredible. And I'm sure that, you know, the answer is probably somewhat more nuanced than the question that I'm about to ask implies. But what I'm hearing is that you're doing innovation both on the customer experience, whether that's marketing or, you know, the the UX or all of that, as well as like the medical advances. You know, typically in innovation, we so much of our job is prioritization. So if you had to pick on that spectrum, do you think that today the priority for innovation really lies in the conversation, the experience, or the actual innovation around like the methods, let's say within menopause or egg freezing or all of those practices? So b- both, obviously, and both have a place because, I mean, th- we have also left out pharmaceuticals and For genetics sure. advances. <laughs> and so so I would be uh, uh, completely remiss to exclude any of them. But 
What I would say for us uniquely as a benefit manager that is also in the provision of care, meaning we actually have brick and mortar locations, we actually provide care, but we're also a benefit manager to these employers. For me, it's reinventing the delivery of the care. So how do we optimize the patient experience? How do we reduce cost? How do we provide improved outcomes more from the experience perspective and helping patients connect the dots, helping employers connect the dots, help working with health plans. So um, so I would say um, my focus is more on the delivery of the care as opposed to the nuance of like this treatment is better than the other treatment. Although again, because I'm a doctor, I uniquely kind of can sometimes straddle the line on both sides. Right. It makes a ton of sense, especially when the problem is such a complex one. You do have to straddle both. So that makes a lot of sense. And again, I would just say when I was thinking about going through this process, one of the reasons where I'll go as far as to say I not only was not afraid to go through this process, but excited to go through this process was it really did help that you walk into this beautiful yellow and white space and there's an app and you can watch modules about the egg freezing process and learn about all the risks and learn about, you know, the the benefits and all of that. And I personally found that to be really, really different. So I, as a customer, can tell very clearly the need for this product and this company and why it's so incredibly successful. But why do you think investors like Google Ventures, RRE Venture, Perceptive Advisors have invested over $290 million in in the um, company? Yeah, I think we have, first and foremost, is we've really been intentional in every aspect of the solution or every aspect of the product, from our initial investments in our proprietary electronic medical record, um, our ongoing uh, daily work on building out a a really intuitive patient portal, our uh, behind-the-scenes utilization of technology to drive efficiencies, to our investment in technology within the IVF laboratory to ensure, you know, the best witnessing systems to ensure the right egg to the right embryo. And so the technology investment isn't necessarily in your face, although you mentioned yourself, you saw the portal that was good. Mm -hmm. But that technology investment, I think, really shows to our investors our dedication to really doing something different. We weren't just taking your traditional fertility clinic and replicating it and putting coat of yellow on it, that we were really being thoughtful. Everything from how do you schedule an appointment? How do you make it convenient? How do you combine a multimodal approach of virtual, in-person, digital care? Where can you make streamline things to make them easier? How do you improve the patient experience from being able to see you know, the tutorials for your injections and the palm of your hands um, and what things need to be done by a person and what things can technology assist in to, to make the experience better. And so I think by seeing our thoughtfulness and intention or even the fact that the, our clinics look the way they look, sure, it's aesthetically pleasing, but it's also from a real uh, patient experience lens of Typically, doctor's offices are very much focused on the doctor. They have their degrees, their awards on the wall. Mm. You go into an office where the doctor has a bigger, nicer chair than you do. It's very patriarchal, very kind of subordinate feeling. And so even that intentionality of the way the space is created, where our doctors are really partners in our patients' journeys. And and then lastly, 
this real desire to help people understand that fertility isn't something that should be diagnosed and then treated, but something you can really be proactive about. And and that's a very different angle than is today the accepted standard in healthcare. I, I have absolute chills with what you're saying, because if I may get on a soapbox for just one second, I think for literally centuries and hundreds of years, women have not been the main character in their own trajectory, whether it's their health, whether it's their career. And so I think companies like Kind Body and what you're personally talking about and the mission that you have is more important than ever. When we talk about equity and when we talk about like having a workplace where people can bring their authentic self to work, I mean, how can you do that if you're going through menopause and you're embarrassed about it or if you're bloated from doing your injections and egg freezing and nobody understands why, right? I think it's just creating the space and also, again, putting women at the center and at the control of their trajectories is is absolutely fundamental. So I just wanted to thank you for that, first and foremost. Oh, I appreciate it. No, it is really the, the equity perspective and the access to care are two parts that were profoundly important to the founding team. And that goes even into the intentionality of, you know, there's 1,500 board-certified reproductive endocrinologists or fertility specialists in the United States, and historically they were predominantly white men. Mm. So intentionally having hiring female physicians and women and people within our clinics of color and LGBTQ plus providers so that our providers look like the people we serve. Um, And if we think that not only promotes equity and diversity, but also we know in healthcare that uh, compliance with healthcare improves if your provider is like you. Um, And so that those are all just intentional things that we have put into the fabric of our organization. Absolutely. And again, I can speak to my own experience. That's something I saw, you know, I was coming into the clinic multiple times a week. And that's something I saw every day. And, um, you know, whether it was the nurses or the staff at the front remembering my name and asking me things about my job, it was just like a phenomenal and very different experience. So I would like to kind of dive deeper and double click on the egg freezing process. Specifically, I imagine we do have a lot of women who are curious about it and maybe get things wrong about it or have not yet had the conversation about it. So for those who are listening and may not have the background or understanding on what egg freezing is and why they would do it, could you maybe give a high level overview? Sure. So egg freezing is a process by which we're taking a group of eggs that you would otherwise lose and remembering that a woman loses up to a thousand eggs per month, whether she has a period or not. It's just biologically what happens from puberty. And we're taking a group of eggs that you would otherwise lose. We're giving you hormone injections, which are the same hormones that your brain releases on a cyclic monthly basis anyway, but we're giving you those same exact hormones in a concentrated amount over a two-week period with a goal of making a group of eggs become mature because only mature eggs can become babies. And, and then extracting those group of eggs with a small needle that's passed through the vagina while you're asleep, and then freezing those eggs. And that's the process. It takes about two weeks. And the key things to understand about egg freezing is egg freezing is not stealing from your fertility. Egg freezing does not put you into early menopause. It's not like we have 10 eggs, and if I take away seven, you now only have three, <laughs> which are some of the misconceptions. Right. 
it's really being opportunistic and saying, you have this group of eggs that you're going to lose this month, whether you like it or not. So why don't we capitalize on the fact that they're there and before they're lost, opportunistically extract them and and freeze them for you. And once they're frozen, they could be frozen for one year, 10 years, theoretically 100 years, and they would stay as good as the day they were frozen, um, regardless of the amount of time. So it's that's why we call it, you know, a preventative, proactive approach to future family building. And so if somebody's saying, all right, Dr. Fema, that all sounds super exciting, but I am, let's say, in my late 20s or even my early 30s, and I'm not looking to have a family in the next few years, why would I care about this? Why would I be proactive? Why don't I just try and have kids and worry about it then? Yeah, so I think the big thing to understand is that the majority of women or many women don't know when they are going to be ready to have children, especially when they're in their late 20s and early 30s. That's probably one of the biggest shifts that's happening is that women are waiting longer to have children, not just in New York and San Francisco, but all over the country. And we know that female fertility is directly linked to age. So as women get older, both our egg quality and egg quantity declines. And so, sure, if I meet like a 28-year-old, let's just say, who says, I am pregnant today, I plan on having one more child, I'm going to have that other child within the next year, and my fertility today is good. Sure, in that case, I'd be like, good for you, you have nothing to worry about. But the majority of women we don't have that experience. Yeah, they don't, they're not ready. They're like, yes, I'm, I plan on, I would like to have two kids, I'd like to have three kids, I'd like to have one kid. I'm not quite sure when that will happen. And in those cases, my entire the sword I want to die on or however you want to approach it, my thing that I'm really invested in is saying that your fertility and your desire to have biological children is too important to leave to chance. So sure, you could say, hey, I'm not going to worry about this now. When the time comes, I'll try and I'll cross my fingers and hope for the best and hopefully things will be great, which is may sound funny. But that's the normal. That's totally. what people do. That's right. what people did. And and the the concept behind it is, is wow, having a child, having a biological child is a really big deal, right? And for this really big monumental event, we're leaving it to chance. And And there's this option to say, I don't want to leave it to chance. Hopefully, I will. If you're a heterosexual couple, have sex and get pregnant on my own, not needing any fertility care. Right. Hopefully. But what if, what if that's not the case? What Mm -hmm. if you don't, what if you're not ready to have a child until you're 40? And then when you turn 40, whether it's your first kid or your second kid or third kid, and now all of a sudden you don't have any more eggs or your fertility has declined. And now you're faced with using donor egg or not being able to have a biological child at all. To me, it's like if you have the opportunity to be proactive about something and be preventative about it, then you should, mm-hmm. especially now that the science has been um, uh, developed so profoundly, and now that we have very good evidence to show that frozen eggs, if they're frozen by a young woman and we have a good amount, 
do add to a significantly improved chance of having a live birth. And so those are the, the factors that I think are really important, that this is such a profoundly impactful thing. And think about all the other things we do in a preventative, proactive way, right? Mm-hmm. We invest in 401ks, we buy life insurance, we buy health insurance, we invest in our education, we go to the doctor, we take vitamins, we do all these things, we exercise, we eat well, because we're being preventative and proactive about our health, our finances, fill in the blank. And yet, having children, oh, well, we'll just see what happens. Yeah, hopefully it works um, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so so it's just using science, using technology, um, and saying, hey, this is another part of my life that I can be proactive about. And being proactive doesn't mean you'll use it, right? right? You may freeze your eggs like you did, and maybe you'll never need to use them. And a couple of years from now, you'll discard those eggs or donate them because you didn't end up needing them. Right. But what... And what an incredible peace of mind it gives you. Exactly. And to your point, I mean, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. We have been taught in our entire lives, especially in like sex ed and middle school, like, you know, you'll just keep on popping out babies and you have to do everything to stop pregnancy. And, and while I, you know, say everybody should use protection and do all the things, I also think most people don't realize that it's actually such a privilege. And so I like to say, yes, sure, it's nice to think that you're exception and not the rule, but on average, I hear a lot more stories of women having troubles trouble conceiving versus not. And so, like you said, it's important to be proactive about it, especially again, you know, I'm a big fan of Melinda Gates and she talks about how, you know, one of the largest ways to stop poverty is to really invest in birth control. And and it's the same thing when you have control over when you bear children. I, I really think that's the key to equality for, for men and women in the workplace. Yeah, and I think the take-home message is, look, fertility impacts one out of six adults, emphasizing adults because it's both a male and female issue. Right. And you never know who that one out of six is going to be. And also that fertility impacts 40% of couples that have fertility issues. It's actually male factor related. These are all real statistics. And um, to ignore tools that are in our toolbox um, and technologies that have been invented and just hope that that those statistics won't be you, I think is just not the way we should be living. Absolutely. Especially because I do think one of the things that people kind of get wrong about egg freezing is that it's like this horrific six month process when in reality, and I'm sure you can, uh, you know, actually give the, the breakdown of the whole thing. It actually is end to end, you know, two weeks and then you have up to like a week of recovery. Of course, that was my personal experience. I know some people like go back to work the very next day. So yeah, could you share a little bit more about actually the reality of going through the process and in terms of its potential disruption or the lack thereof to somebody's life. Yeah, no, your numbers were correct. And obviously with, you know, everybody's a little bit unique, but the entire workup can be done in one session. So you can come in and have your blood work done and have your ultrasound done and in one day. So at Kind Body, for example, and, um, and then the actual injections and the egg retrieval do take a maximum of two weeks. Um, and then recovery varies, but 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have patients who go back to work the very next day. They may still feel bloated and a little tired for up Mm -hmm. to two weeks, but this is not a thing where you have to take two weeks off of work and you're in bed and you're sick. You do feel some discomfort and bloating and some cramping, but otherwise um, you should still be able to go to work, still be, you know, an active, productive member of your workforce or whatever daily activities that you do. And we really go out of our way to to, to minimize the impact that it has on your day-to-day life so that you can do this and still be the, the career woman and that you are. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I went to work the entire time. I took the day of my actual retrieval off and then I kind of worked from home that that next week. I definitely looked a little more round than I would have liked to look and felt a little tired. But um, yeah, absolutely. It didn't feel that disruptive to my life. And again, to your point, the benefit is so worth kind of the cost of the experience. And I mean that both physically and financially as well. So on that note, I know one of the biggest challenges in the space is accessibility, given that um, egg freezing can be very pricey. I will just say that I was fortunate enough to have amazing employer benefits that covered elective egg freezing for me. So I would just say step one is uh, people tuning in, check what your employer benefits are because you may not know and they may cover all of it or some of it. But Dr. Fahima, could you maybe talk a little bit more about the accessibility element of this? Because I know that's a big barrier to entry for people. Yeah, so that's one of our missions, you know, at Kind Body is to improve access to this care. And we do that in a couple of ways. Number one, we do champion with employers adding fertility benefits, which would include egg freezing, embryo freezing, sperm freezing. And so if you work somewhere where you don't have those benefits, we encourage you to contact us. Our uh, our enterprise team can definitely be your partner in championing that for your organization. It is something that from a talent acquisition and retention perspective a lot of companies are adding and not just tech companies and financial institutions but you know even places like Starbucks and Amazon and Walmart now have fertility and egg freezing benefits so that's that's a key component right because now all of a sudden you're providing access to a cashier who who makes minimum wage um, all the way up to executives and so that's a huge part and has been a profound mission of ours The other piece of it is just by being transparent, you know, one of the biggest problems with the United States healthcare system is you walk into a hospital and go to an ER or have an emergency appendix surgery and you never know how much things cost until you get the bill, right, long after the procedure is done and that level of transparency is something that is quite crazy when you step back and think about. And so we really pride ourselves and you can go to kindbody.com you can see exactly how much things cost we also accept major medical insurance most major medical insurance unfortunately still does not cover egg freezing that's definitely something that i hope will change in the years to come but i think our transparency is key and the work that we're doing on a daily basis to increase access from a uh, to egg freezing from an employer perspective. The third piece is there's actually companies that we work with that provide financing for fertility. So if you don't meet any of those where your employer doesn't cover it and 
you've tried, but it's not working and you don't have benefits through your insurance um, and the cost is happens to just be more than you can afford, um, you can actually um, take out zero to very low interest loans that are specifically for fertility. And so we try to explore any and all opportunities to, to help make this what we feel is an important component of reproductive, proactive, preventative health accessible to everyone. And I will just say as somebody who works in financial services, if you're using like a firm or Klarna to like buy a fancy toothbrush or a handbag online, I can tell you that this is a much better investment to make than than a handbag or a fancy toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah. With uh, fine products these days, you're absolutely right. It would be an exchange of of one fine product for, for something that could give you the opportunity to have children in the future. Yes. So with that, I'd love to wrap it up uh, by talking about, you know, the future, your future, the industry's future, and ask you the question that we ask all of our innovators. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Sure. So one month from now, we as an institution are are really laser focused on continuing to work on improving the patient experience. It's really the North Star of, of our organization and of the commitment that we have to our patients, to our this industry, to healthcare, and I think is something that's really been ignored for a long time. And and as a as a company over the course of the next year, uh, continuing to focus on our growth so that we can continue to provide this access to the care that we've talked about to as many people as possible and removing, you know, removing barriers like race and ethnicity and cost and finances, etc. And in that process, continuing to work on the profitability of our business um, so that we can continue to foster, you know, all of Mm -hmm. our programs. And then 10 years from now, you know, I think Kind Body is is really positioned to have a profound impact on women's health beyond the fertility piece that we talked about. And and so I am excited for Kind Body to be the brand that becomes synonymous with reproductive health, with women's health, with LGBTQ health, uh, and really is the is a hallmark of a place where people go for the full spectrum from their first period through fertility, through menopause, and has really uh, beca- become or has become a key player in in improving women's health in general from heart disease and uh, maternal mortality and really just addressing that total addressable market that is reproductive health. So f- much more beyond the segment that we're focused on right now. And I have no doubt that we can do that based on the trajectory we've had the last five years. I could not agree more. And then for most people, the title of Chief Innovation Officer is kind of like the pinnacle of their career. Where do you see your own growth? Yeah, for me, I um, you know have had quite a professional transition. I went from being 100% clinical and part of an academic institution and uh, really just laser focused on that and over this last five years have really uh, come into the business side of, of healthcare and, and interacted with so many amazing people as it relates to employer benefits and benefit design and just this space. 
and so I'm constantly, uh, I guess, a professor of education and continuing to learn and um, and expand. And so, um, you know, I look forward to to helping other entrepreneurs and other um, you know women in this industry to continue to move the needle as we improve the healthcare system in the United States, which I think we can all agree has a lot of room for improvement. We can all agree on that. <laughs> so thank you so much, Dr. Fahima, for joining me in the Win-Win Podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Win-Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.